0: Appreciate you men being in this conference. And I know Brother Schmidt's heart is not only to minister in this conference to the pastors, but also to the men. It is a men's conference, right? And so thank you for being here and supporting your pastor. I know it means a lot to him to have you uh, come with him to a conference like this and encourages him. And uh, many pastors have come up this week and or this weekend, and said to me, I've got a couple men with me, or they've introduced you to me, and so uh, it means a lot to them uh, to see you uh, faithfully serving the Lord along their side, and I hope you'll continue to do that. Uh, so vital today uh, to keep our pastors encouraged. Uh, they go through a lot of a lot of things behind the scenes, and, and uh, as men, we kind of know some of those things from time to time that are going on in the church, but uh, be an encouragement to your pastor. Pray for him. And uh, let him know that you're praying for him. Uh, we had a man pass away in our church a couple of years ago. He'd been a deacon all, all his life. He was in his 80s and uh, served there all the years of Pastor Chapel as, as, our de- as one of our deacons. And uh, Pastor said that he would always wait until everyone left on Sunday night. He'd let everybody go through and shake Pastor's hand or whatever. And then he would come over and he'd give, give Pastor a hug and say, Pastor, that was a great message. I needed that one. He'd say it every Sunday night. And uh, I don't know if he always meant it, but (laughs) he'd always say it. And uh, at his funeral, pastor mentioned that. What an encouragement that was to every Sunday night, be able to leave the property knowing that there was one of his deacons praying for him and uh, standing with him. And uh, you can be that for your pastor, and I hope you will. These are good men that God's given to you. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to help some churches without a pastor and uh, there's one that I've been going to quite regularly as much as I can uh, to help them. They've been, out, they've been without a pastor for two years, and um, uh, it's tough. They, they don't have the finances, the resources to support someone full-time, and uh, so it's difficult uh, to find a pastor sometimes, uh, and we get calls almost every week at the college uh, from a church that needs a pastor. And so you be an encouragement to yours, and uh, thank God for him. Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy and chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, and all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. and Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. And of thy gates. We need teachers. We need teachers. Say, Brother Getch, is there a shortage at West Coast for instructors? No, it's not what I'm talking about. Although we're always looking for good men to teach in a college setting. Are you talking about Sunday school teachers? No, we, we probably need some Sunday school teachers in our churches. And there's always a, a gap there that somebody can fill and should fill. But we need some teachers in our homes. We need dads. We need granddads. You notice here, Moses is instructing them to teach their sons and their sons' sons. And there's a need for you and I, whatever age we are, whether in our own family or in the church, as we see so many young people coming now without a good nuclear family. We need men to be teachers. We need you to teach. Have you noticed that the liberal left is very focused on our kids? It's not an accident that cartoons now have lesbian parents in the cartoon. That's not an accident. It didn't just slip in. It's not an accident what's going on at Disney. It's, it's not an accident uh, that children in first and second grade are being taught about gender issues. Vladimir Lenin, leader of the Soviet Union for many years, said, give me a child for four years. And the seeds that I sow in that child in those four years, you will never be able to uproot. That's a pretty scary statement. But you know, that's actually a biblical statement. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I was sitting on an airplane some years ago and gentleman came out, came in sat beside me and usual kind of conversation you know how are you and where are you going and where you been you know it didn't take long for me to realize that he was a jewish rabbi and it didn't let, take long for him to realize that I was a baptist preacher and the conversation was very friendly and casual And we began to talk about the Bible, and we began to talk about uh, the Messiah. (laughs) And I found that every verse that I would bring to his attention from the Old Testament, he could quote in English and Hebrew. I mean, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. Just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I'd I'd no more than say the reference, and and he'd start quoting it. And he could quote it in Hebrew. And after about 30, 40 minutes of discussing the gospel, I recognized that we were going to have to agree to disagree. He wasn't, his heart was not open to uh, knowing any more about Jesus and these kinds of things with respect to salvation. But I highly respected him. And I, as our, our conversation began to wane a little bit, I said, sir, can I ask you one more question? He said, sure. I said, it's a Bible question. He said, shoot. I said, Proverbs 22.6. And he quoted it in English. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And then he quoted it in Hebrew. He said, what's your question? <laughs> I said, that my question is, what does the word depart mean? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Because my experience is I've seen parents who have trained their children right, at least in my estimation. They took them to church every time the doors were open. They put them in a Christian school. They allowed them to be in the youth group. I mean, they seemingly did everything right, and yet the child went astray. I've seen that. In fact, I've seen in some homes where they, they've had several children, and some of them went right and some of them went wrong. And you're thinking, well, they did the same things, so how, does, how do you jive all that with Proverbs 22, 6? So I was curious as to the word depart. Without hesitation, he said, oh, that word means escape. And I thought, wow, that really makes sense with the rest of the Bible. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he cannot escape it. Remember the prodigal son? prodigal son was probably raised pretty well, don't you think? I mean, he was probably, his father appears to be a very godly person, uh, someone who was praying and and anticipating God doing a work in his kids. and, and, And the prodigal's father doesn't seem to have any flaws, and yet this prodigal leaves. But he gets in that hog pen in the far country, and he comes to himself. Why? Because in him had been placed some things that he could not escape. When you give the gospel to somebody, they may reject you, but they can't escape your message because God's word never returns void. When you train up your children in the way that they should go, when you get them to church and you put them in Sunday school and you put them perhaps in some environment of Christianity, they cannot escape that. Now, if you don't train them, then there's no guarantees, But if we train them, the Bible says they cannot escape it. So how can we ensure that our kids that are coming up, whether in our own family as a a father or as a grandfather in our children's homes now, or perhaps those children in our church ministry, those maybe that are riding a van to church or those that are coming on their own, how can we make sure that we get some foundational principles into their lives that they will not be able to escape. Well, notice first of all, a principle acknowledgement. In verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, this is why Satan hates Christianity above all religions, because there's only one God. And Satan hates that, because in heaven, he tried to be God. He tried to take the place of God. And his attempt as he was cast down to the earth is to still create all these little gods, little g gods, that that man wants to serve. And if the devil can convince us that there's a plurality of gods, then we can be our own god. So the devil hates the fact that there's one true god. And he constantly tries to pull our kids away from that God. And so what Moses is instructing the people here is to teach your children this principal acknowledgement of one true God, one God, one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Unto the house of Israel, he showed them that that he is God and that there's none else. I am the Lord, that's my name, My glory do I not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. One God, Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. There's one God. And we must believe and our kids must know that there's one God, one authority, one Savior, one body of truth we call the Bible, a principal acknowledgment. But then no. secondly, a premier affection. He goes on in verse 5 to say, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. One premier affection. There's one God, and now we must teach our children to love that God. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. God is love, and that love has been manifested to us when Jesus was sent from heaven to die for our sins. God commendeth, God proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so glad that God's love is unconditional. It doesn't change. If I don't read my Bible today, God still loves me. He's not as pleased with me as he would like to be, but he still loves me. If I don't go to church tomorrow, he still loves me. I led a Mormon lady to Christ recently, and she's had a real struggle understanding that God loves her. She's 71 years old, and she's been through a lot. She's been through some car accidents that have taken some of her mental um, sharpness. She's, She's blind in one eye as a result of that accident, raised in the Mormon church, and very much under that influence. Her mother is 94 and still very influential in her life as far as the Mormonism, and she's obviously made some mistakes in her life, has been divorced, and these kinds of things. And the devil keeps plaguing her with this doubt that God loves me. Does God really love me? I just can't feel loved. I, can't, I, I just don't know why God would love me. Well, we all wonder why God would love us but I'm thankful there's a promise in the word of God that he loves us. And and Jude reminds us to keep ourselves in the love of God. It's amazing we teach our kids to love us. We teach our kids to love each other. We teach our kids to love our sports team. We teach our kids to love things, certain foods, but do we teach them to love God? you got to teach them to love God. Someone has said, tell me how much you love God. Use words only if necessary. Tell me how much you love God. Use words only if necessary. You know, a lot of this is example, isn't it? See, when our kids see us come to church and we kind of half-heartedly go through the motions of singing and worship we're not really showing our kids that we love God. When we make excuses why we can't be at the church or why we can't have devotions or why we don't have time to pray as a family or we're showing our children, we don't really love him. And so God says, we've got to emphasize this premier affection of loving God. Then notice thirdly, a powerful authority. Now, you might be sitting here today saying, well, really, gosh, that's easy for you to preach because you're a preacher, and that's what you do for your life. I mean, you stand in front of people, and you teach, and you preach, and, and uh, so it's easy for you to stand up in front of your kids or sit down with them in the, around the dinner table and talk about spiritual things, but, but, but I, I'm not. I, I, I've only been saved a few years, or I don't know the Bible like my pastor does, or uh, what, what, what would I teach my children? Well, notice verse 6. And these words. You don't have to come up with the curriculum of what to teach. And these words. Right? We have the Bible. When I was um, in college, I did an internship uh, at the Woodcrest Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, two summers. My last two summers while I was in college, I went to that church. And uh, served there. And and the second summer that I was there, the pastor, Pastor Clark Poorman, he said, uh, he said, John, in the fall we're going to split the youth group. We're gonna we're gonna divide it into senior high and junior high. The youth group was growing. They had a youth pastor, and he was doing a fantastic job. And their youth group had had grown to about a hundred kids. And he said, we we it's just too many to try to do good activities and really you know have class and. He said, so we're going to split it. We're going to split the junior high from the senior high this fall, and we've got a young man that's coming to help us as an assistant youth pastor. But he said, this summer, I want to start getting it into the minds of these kids that that's what we're going to do. We haven't announced it. The deacons know. And, but he said, uh, we haven't told the kids yet. And so to kind of prepare them for this, I want to do some separate activities this summer just for junior hires. And I want to do some, some classes in Sunday school maybe once a month where we start pulling them out and, and teaching them because that's what we're going to do in the fall. So he said, I want you uh, to take those junior high kids. Well, thank you, pastor. Thank you. That's, that's like sentencing you to three years in prison, you know, uh, junior hires. They don't even know who they are, much less how am I supposed to know who they are. And so he gave me these junior hires to teach a Sunday school class. Well, I... I I didn't get called to preach till my junior year in college. I never took a class in preaching or homiletics, anything like that, until my senior year. And so I didn't know anything about preaching. I had heard a lot of preaching, and I knew how people did it, but I I had never personally done hardly any preaching. I had one message that I had worked on. It was called 30 Pieces of Silver. It was about Judas Iscariot. And I thought, well, the lesson this Sunday for the junior hires is going to be on that, because that's all I got, Right. And I remember he put us in the church kitchen for that junior high class, and uh, it's a terrible place to have junior hires for Sunday school. And uh, we crammed into that kitchen, put some chairs around uh, the the uh, all the all the appliances and stuff down there, and crammed them all in there. And uh, I, I I tried to pray myself up and study that message, and I I felt like you know okay I can do this, and I was really nervous, but I I kind of walked in there, and the kids were all seated, and I was. Taking a deep breath, and then the pastor's wife walked in the back door and sat down. And I thought, "You got to be kidding me!" (laughs) He sent his wife down here to spy on me. (laughs) And Mrs. Foreman was a, a very petite woman, and she was very gentle. She was very much the quiet and meek spirit type. She was not outgoing, really. You know, she was very much behind the scenes. A wonderful, godly lady who I respected very, very much, but I mean, it just kind of threw me off. I mean, one of the reasons I did those internships was because her husband was a tremendous preacher. And the reason I even signed up to possibly go to that church was because he preached in chapel, and I thought, boy, if I could hear him preach all summer, I I would really really benefit. So I, I went to that internship in part to hear her husband preach. He was a fantastic preacher. And now she's sitting in the back. And, man, it just made the nerves even worse, you know. And I labored through that Sunday school lesson, did the best I knew how. And when it was over, the kids they they filed out to go upstairs for church. and mrs. porman, she she started walking toward me, and I thought, "Oh boy, she had her Bible in her hand like this, and she's she's walking toward me." And so I stopped and she said, "John, that was good." I thought, oh." Okay. Praise the Lord. Good. That's like a B, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, a B is good, at least in my frame of mind. I thought, well, at least it wasn't an F, you know. At least it wasn't a C minus. And so she said, that was good. And I said, Mrs. Poorman, thank you. I said, you know, I don't know where your husband gets all his sermons. And I'll never forget this. It's over 50 years ago. She, she put her Bible in front of me and she said, John, they're all in here. And she walked away and I thought, they are. They're, I don't know where they are, but they're all in here. <laughs> and, and guys, you're in the same boat, right? They're all in here. What your kids need is in here. What the kids in your church need is right in here. God has given us the textbook. He's given us the curriculum, and it's powerful. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I send. We have some buses that run there in Lancaster and, We pick up some pretty rough kids. In fact, uh, just about every week, we have to get the police to take a couple of them home. And they're rough. And uh, they come from the inner cities, and we we bring them in there. There's a young man in our college, and he's uh, a disabled vet, a fine young man, but lives in constant pain due to his injuries. And Robert asked if he could meet with with me once a week because he's teaching one of those teen bus classes. Now Robert struggles. I mean, he—he he, for him to stand is painful. He's got injuries to his back. He—he he, just—he has a real struggle physically. I had him in freshman speech class and and uh, learned a little bit about him and and uh, he he really has some struggles. He has some deficiencies mentally as well from some of these accidents. Some of the things don't connect quite as quickly in his mind, but. They made him the teacher one of these teen bus classes because Robert loves the Lord, and he's not polished in the sense of his speech and all of that, but he has a heart for people. And he comes in every week, and we go over his lesson. We try to help him to communicate. And two weeks ago, he came in for his... We meet on Wednesdays, and uh, he came in, and I said... uh, well, how'd you do last week? How'd the lesson go? He, he pulled it out of his Bible and he said, I didn't get to any of this. And I thought, oh no. He said, we we had to ask, esc- we had a fight. He said, the kids came in, they started fighting. And he said, we had a couple different gangs there and they started fighting, so we had to get the police and they had to take some of them and they're never going to be allowed to come back. And he began to weep. And he said, uh, I never even got to the lesson. I just, I just tried to quiet everybody and I started sharing some things that God had done in my life. And I just opened the Bible and read a couple verses and, and we prayed. And he said, I just failed. I just, nothing happened. He said, it was, a, it was a catastrophe. He came in the next week and I said, so Robert, how'd it go this week? He said, brother Gatch, a young man got saved last week after that lesson. I said, the one you didn't really teach? He said, yeah, that one. <laughs> he said he got baptized in the first service on Sunday morning. And he was excited. Why? Because all he did was read a couple of verses. See, but God used his word to touch a young man's life. This is your authority, man. I was preaching a revival for the man who married my wife and I. And this was about a year after we were married, he asked me to come preach in the church. And and, uh, he was an older man in his 50s, raised his family, wonderful family, and I was honored that he would have me come. We preached an eight-day meeting, Sunday to Sunday night. And at at the end of the last meeting, he and his wife and my wife and I were just kind of saying our goodbyes there in the lobby of the church. And he, he kind of pulled me aside from our wives and he said, John, it was a good meeting. Thank you for coming. Our people enjoyed it. We had good attendance, some of our best. And he said, your messages were spot on, just wonderful. And I, I, I felt thankful that, that a veteran pastor was complimenting me with these words, you know. And then he kind of took a step even closer to me and he said, but John, he said, I would have thought in the 17 messages that you preached this week, that you would have preached at least one on the family, on the home. And I, I, I kind of responded with kind of a laugh. I said, ah, pastor, that's your job. Yeah, I'm 24 years old. I just got married. I don't have kids. He's 50s. got five kids. They're all married, doing great. I said, pastor, that's your job. And I'll never forget. He said, John, you have just as much authority to preach this book as I do. Your authority is the Bible, not your experience. And some of you, you know, you'll hide behind your weakness. Well, I don't know the Bible or I, I, I haven't been saved very long. Listen, just open it up. Share it with your children. Share it with your grandchildren. Share it with some of the... Get you a verse while you're here at this conference. And tomorrow morning when you walk in that church, find a youngster somewhere and say, hey, can I share something that I learned this week? Just see what God will do with that. Because his word is powerful. It's a powerful authority. And then there's a planned affirmation as we go into verses six and following. He says, write it everywhere. Just everything that you do, put the word of God in it. Uh, in your speech, in what they see, everything that these kids are, are exposed to. They need to see the word of God uh, in, written on the posts, written on the doors, everywhere they go, speak of it. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk in the way, talk about God, talk about the word of God. You say, boy, that sounds like work. Well, these are our kids. We are writing the history of the future. I don't like what I see that's going on among our youth in America, but I'll tell you what, the only thing that's going to change it is God. And we've got to get the Word of God into their lives, into their, into their hearts. And so my dad was, was so good at this. He, he was not a, 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 an educated man in the sense of school, but my dad would weave the Word of God into just about everything that happened on that farm. He would just always respond in some way that would encourage me to do what was right. We did a lot of farming with the neighbors. We shared machinery, and when harvest season would come, we'd help each other, you know, with getting the hay in or the corn or whatever. The farmer next door, he had a hired man who was pretty rough. He was pretty vulgar with his mouth. He would—he delighted in telling dirty stories. You know, We'd take a little break, drink some water, and he'd, he'd start telling, telling a story. And My dad, he'd sense it. And I remember he'd put his arm around me and say, Come on, son, work's more fun than this. <laughs> and we'd go back to work. And my dad would, would weave the Word of God and the principles of God's Word into my life in our everyday experiences. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. It's getting the word of God, not just in church when it's expected, but in the home when when a child is going through a tough time or maybe when they mess up or maybe when some tragedy happens, to weave the word of God into their life. That's what it means to train up that child in the way that he should go. And I'll tell you one day, he can't escape it. He can't escape it. My dad's been in heaven for over 20 years, but I can't escape the things he taught me from this book. They'll be forever with me. And you have that opportunity with your children, your grandchildren, and those in your church that are coming up in this next generation. We need teachers. And God just hired you. Let's pray. Father, help us to be that teacher, that trainer of the next generation. Lord, we see what happens when young people in a culture get trained in the wrong things. We see chaos, we see confusion. We see young people taking their lives in suicide, and we see the mental health issues, and all of these things that seem to be going wrong among our youth. Well, Lord, you've given us a book that has answers, it has solutions, and we've got to be faithful as the adults in the room to teach your word, and so give us your grace, give us your strength, give us a love for our children, our grandchildren, and those around us that are young. To get the Word of God into their lives and their minds so that when they get old, they cannot depart.